that's not enough. Good morning, indeed. It is happy Valentine's Day. Hopefully, Red Tuesday did not claim you. Many people, if you, if you, in case you missed it yesterday, Red Tuesday, the day before, the Tuesday before Valentine's Day just happened to work out this year that it's the day before Valentine's Day, is the day where more breakups happen than any other because people either don't want to buy presents on Valentine's Day or they don't want to fake their way through a romantic, a quote-unquote romantic holiday. So February 14th, Valentine's Day, indeed. And we are going to have many conversations about that this morning. Uh, but Greg, I think the big story, the one that, uh, well, one of the big stories, it is uh, yet another uh, very uh, news-heavy day. We have a lot of important topics to discuss this morning, including what happened with the leader of the NDP, and one of his MLAs. Yeah, without question, uh, yesterday we, we we learned that former Manitoba Premier Greg Selinger would finally speak on the allegations surrounding his former cabinet minister and MLA. He once sat beside in the, in the legislature, his former finance minister, Stan Struthers, amongst other responsibilities over the years. And Selinger made what sounded like an apology, mixed what? with what he suggested was taking responsibility for what took place on his watch to at least two women who worked with Struthers. I'm sorry that they suffered neglect, isolation and humiliation that affected their working family, family and community lives. These brave women, whether in government or in the community, were idealistic and dedicated. They deserve to have a safe place to work. They deserve to be treated with respect and dignity in the workplace and our government and political party failed them. As leader of the party at the time, I wish that these incidents of sexual harassment were brought to my attention. The grotesque incidents that have been brought to light during the past few days happen under my watch as leader of the party and government of the day. And as such, I must take responsibility for our inaction in addressing these incidents. Too many suffered in silence for too long, and I want to apologize so that the voices of these women can be heard. He's, su he's suggesting they suffered in silence. Uh, much of the testimony and the conversation we've heard from these women is that they did not suffer in silence. In fact, they brought this forward. And you could hear Selinger stumble on the word apologize. And in isolation, in my head anyway, you can hear part of the word appall, as in appalling, which in my opinion is how Selinger has treated this situation. This has been a week now before the former premier, the former leader of this party, came forward to declare his feelings and to admit his part in this. Selinger went on reading his statement and revealed that current party leader, Wab Canoe, had in fact asked him for his resignation. He, he proposed that as a one alternative. The other one was to cancel the, this press conference. I told him that... Uh, I thought it was really important that uh, we make this statement. Now, Selinger to this point has refused to resign, which didn't sit well with Wab Canoe. I thought if he's going to accept responsibility for the situation, then it would be an appropriate time to step down. Uh, and so I shared that with him and uh, I asked him to resign. And uh, again, you know, he has other ideas. My focus is not on his future. Uh, or his decision-making process. My focus is on trying to do right by the women who've spoken out. 
canoe appeared on the news with Julie Buckingham and Richard Cluche yesterday afternoon, Brett. And in that interview, canoe sounded less determined to show Selinger the door immediately. Uh, one leader, the former leader, in my opinion, not standing up and doing the right thing and resigning, should have resigned last week. Yep. And should have made statements similar to what he made yesterday. Last week, it felt hollow. It felt contrived. And Bob Canoe should be insisting that Selinger step away. And he's not. And it's a lack of leadership that has put the NDP in the position that they are in. And that's essentially making themselves somewhat irrelevant on the political landscape in Manitoba, in spite of the fact we have a fairly unpopular government right now. They're not doing themselves any favors. This, uh, just in terms of politics, stinks. And in terms of ethics, it stinks even more. One of the things that Greg Selinger said in his press conference yesterday was that he did, in fact, take responsibility for this suggesting that he did so by resigning as leader. And I thought, what What does that have to do with this conversation? You resigned as leader of the party because your party tanked, because you were too stubborn to step away in the first place. Yeah, this is, this is uh, the, the form of hubris, of ego, that got the NDP into this mess in the first place. You know, uh, the group of five that approached Selinger several years ago to walk away to step down because there was a feeling within the party, at least parts of the party, the caucus and cabinet, that Selinger was becoming an ineffective leader. And the fact that he refused to walk away then, the fact that he even ran for party leadership one more time, it just indicates the type of of ego this 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 gentleman has. I once upon a time had an immense amount of respect for Greg Selinger. That respect has diminished substantially over the past several years. If you say you're a party guy, and I'm just talking from politics, purely politics, I'm talking about from the point of view of team sport. If you say you're a team guy and you're a leader and you're about party first, Greg Selinger, if you're listening this morning, you should have resigned over three years ago. You should never have run for re-election. You should never have run for party leadership when you had the opportunity to, to walk away when your colleagues told you it was time to go. So yesterday on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, Wab Canoe, leader of the Manitoba NDP, had a conversation just after the 4 o'clock news. We want to replay some of that conversation for you coming up after the 7 o'clock news on 680 CJOB. Also... At 6.30, or after Global News at 6.30, we will hear from Caitlin Laws, Winnipeg's Caitlin Laws, gold medal champion at the Olympics in mixed doubles curling. Kelly Moore just got off the phone with her a couple of moments ago, so we'll hear that chat after 6.30. That's my Valentine's heartbreak. I didn't get to speak to Caitlin Laws this morning (laughs) because I wanted to congratulate her and John Morris and the incredible work that they did after one loss in their opening game. They went on and went undefeated the rest of the way to claim that first ever gold medal in mixed doubles curling. And I would be remiss if in this first segment, uh, Brett, I didn't mention that my heart broke yesterday when I learned that the victim of that collision on St. Anne's Road was an eight-year-old little boy. We'll talk about that throughout the morning as well. As as a parent, and I think anybody uh, who has uh, kids in their lives, uh, when they heard the story, 
uh, obviously was upset, but when we learned that the victim was just eight years old, it uh, it really shook me to my core. And I said in several text messages to people in my life that when I heard the news, my heart stopped beating for for a few moments, just sickened and uh, condolences to the family and to all the kids that are going to be dealing with this uh, over the next several weeks as they mourn the loss of, of their friend. Kiss me out of the bearded barley nightly. A little bit of extra smooching going on, I would suspect, yeah. at home and, uh, you know, maybe at school, uh, maybe in the back seat, the front seat, who knows, maybe on the bus, bus stops, all sorts of places. But what if you're... <laughs> Just thinking of any, any, any place, place you can think of. On and on such? Uh, oh, <laughs> on, yeah, it's closed. That's not happening. Earth. That's not happening. Uh, what if the person you're locking lips with has stinky breath. To talk about oral health and how to make sure you have kissable breath, the bad breath doctor is here. Dr. Harold Katz joining us live this morning on 680 CJOB. Dr. Katz, good morning to you, sir. Uh, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. And to you too as well, Dr. Katz. I, I feel as though I maybe uh, brushed my tongue a little bit more ferociously today, knowing I was going to be speaking with you, even though it's over the miles. Uh, you know, we, we talk about brushing our teeth our tongues are critical, aren't they? Oh, very, very important. Your tongue is like those shag carpets from the 70s. No, great. Except mine's not avocado green. Uh, the bacteria live in between the fibers that make up your tongue. Uh, they're called anaerobic bacteria. They're hiding from oxygen. And under certain conditions, they produce chemicals. Uh, one is called cadaverine. Another is called putrescine, the smell of rotting flesh. And that's what you do not want on Valentine's Day. Putrescine? Rotting flesh. Yeah, putrescine. Not, not my sister-in-law's name. That's a real chemical. Uh, that's what the bacteria produce. What they're doing is breaking down proteins in foods that you eat or in oral tissue as it breaks down. And uh, it extracts sulfur compounds from the amino acids of those proteins. So that, that's the chemical process. But uh, onions and garlic and uh, certain types of candies will also do it because the bacteria love sugar. And Valentine's Day, we're eating a lot of chocolates and sweets, and we're drinking a lot of alcohol, and alcohol makes your mouth dry. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of problems happen on Valentine's Day, and I'm, I'm here to help your listeners. So you have uh, a list of products, uh, TheraBreath, I believe is what it's called, uh, which we yeah. I've tried. The, the mints are spectacular. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, we sell them at, uh, at Shoppers and Wal, uh, Wal, uh, Walmart and uh, at Rexall. Yeah, we, I developed the products uh, about oh, 20 years ago. My daughter had a bad breath problem. And besides being a dentist, I also have a degree in bacteriology. And you have, you have to understand how these bacteria work. So by introducing oxygen, which is the key element in the, in the formulas, it literally puts a straitjacket around the bacteria so they can't produce those, uh, those stinky odors. You know, we, we've accomplished so much in science, Dr. Katz, and the science surrounding bad breath is on that list of things we're, we're looking to, to conquer. Have you done it here for the most part? Uh, well, we're we're very close. The, the products work for over 12 hours each time that you use them. So as you normally would use mouthwash and toothpaste uh, twice a day, you're pretty much in control of the bad breath. 
now, uh, you always have these bacteria in your mouth. You cannot get rid of the bacteria. Uh, they have actually a job to do, which, again, is breaking down the proteins, which makes food much easier to digest. So you don't want to use antibiotics to get rid of bad breath. What you end up doing is creating resistant strains of bacteria, and people end up with a condition called black, hairy tongue. Uh, that's a that's also a real thing, not 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 somebody. So yeah, black hairy tongue. Uh, your tongue turns different colors from taking too many antibiotics. Uh, just use the Therabreath mouthwash or the toothpaste or the lozenges, and you'll be a lot better off. Doctor Katz, can something as simple as just making sure you drink plenty of water throughout a day help to avoid the halitosis? Uh, yeah, great tip. Number one tip we tell everyone. Drink more water. People don't drink enough water. Uh, They're drinking beer and thinking beer is like water. Not the case. You need to replenish your saliva. We use about one and a half liters of saliva a day as we speak. People on the radio use more because they talk a lot. Uh, they say very nice things, by the way. Uh, so you have to make sure that you're, you're very hydrated. Uh, and, and the problem comes down to, let's say you're stuck at a party, you don't know what to eat. Uh, look for fruits and vegetables, which contain a lot of water. Apples are good. Berries are fantastic. Celery is even good. Uh, again, things which have a lot of liquid in them. Uh, things that make your mouth dry are a problem. Alcohol, as I mentioned. Uh, smoking cigarettes. Smoking marijuana, for sure. I know it's going to become legal there very soon. It's going to end up giving people cotton mouth and uh, uh it's good for me because people will be buying more of my lozenges <laughs> but <laughs> it's you're gonna end up with a lot of stinky people in canada unfortunately dr katz the website where we can do a crash course on bad breath real quick uh, sure it's therabreathcanada.com t-h-e-r-a breathcanada.com and i'm giving away some freebies if your listeners want some free samples uh please give me a call it's 800 557 9541-800-557-9541 and get some free TheraBreath for Valentine's Day. Dr. Katz, thank you so much. Dr. Harold Katz joining us this morning. He is the expert, the bad breath doctor. <laughs> Brett, you dubbed it Gold Medal Tuesday yesterday. Barely, and happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Uh, barely uh, more than 24 hours ago from this moment, Winnipegger Caitlin Laws and Winnipeg-born John Morris slid into first and took the first ever golden mixed doubles curling at the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics yesterday morning. 680 CGOB Sports Director Kelly Moore caught up with Caitlin Laws this morning to talk about the big win. With Canada's double gold Olympian, Caitlin Laws. And, and Caitlin, it's uh, not quite 24 hours after the fact, but pr- pretty darn close. Uh, I would imagine, though, that uh, uh, it still hasn't worn off what you and John Morris were able to accomplish uh, uh, our time yesterday morning and late last night where you were in South Korea. Yeah, honestly, it's uh, it's been a whirlwind 24 hours, and we just got back from our, our medal ceremony, so it kind of felt like we were missed a little bit naked today without the medal, and so it's an incredible honor to be able to bring home the gold for Canada. Wow, it's uh, hard to believe. Yeah, before we talk about the game, uh, you've just mentioned the medal ceremony. How different was it, or was it different, from what you experienced four years ago in Sochi? Uh, to be honest, the, the process uh, was very similar in Sochi, and I remember being backstage four years ago, and someone asked us if we were gonna gonna cry during while we were getting our medals, and 
I, I did. I mean, to be able to see that flag rise up and, you know, Canada at the top of your lungs, it, it's something that is so special and so unique and, and rare, especially at the winter winter games. And I, I teared up again this time. And, uh, it, wow, that it, it was such a special moment. And to be able to look out and see my mom and brother and, and John's family out there, it was a really incredible moment. Uh, you know, throughout the competition, Caitlin, uh, we saw your mom, we saw your brother, we saw your boyfriend. That had to be really, really uh, special that, that they've been able to share this with you. Uh, were, was your family able to share this with you in Sochi as well, or, or was this somewhat unique in Pyeongchang? Uh, in Sochi, I had just my mom there with me, and my brother wasn't able to make it. And, and now to share this with my mom and brother and boyfriend, honestly, it, it means the world to me. Uh, I'm going to get emotional talking about it. I I can't do what I do without their support, and they believed in me from day one, and I'm just so lucky to be able to share this experience with them and uh, and just thank them for everything that they've done for me. And, and I guess the other thing, too, is you've been with Jennifer and Jill and Dawn for a substantial amount of time, so I can't imagine how emotional it was when you did win that gold in Sochi, but, you know, with John, you guys are just kind of a new tandem. Yeah, I've been playing with those girls for eight years now, and uh, I, I can't wait to join them up, uh, join up with them next month at the World Championships. It's been such an amazing journey, and uh, I'm pretty honored to have had the career that I've had so far in curling. And you know, we've been training my whole life for for moments like this, and to be able to share it with John, who is also a two-time Olympic gold medalist, is pretty special. And we love that we got to be a part of the first ever mixed doubles curling, and we hope that we can inspire a new generation of curlers to, to try out this, this fun game, and we absolutely love playing. Yeah, we had a lot of talks about that yesterday with Reed Carruthers, and Jill came on with us uh, right after the game yesterday morning to talk about it. Craig Baker from uh, uh, Mani- Curl Manitoba, so yeah, there. <laughs> That, that's already happening for sure. How good of a teammate? I, I know the bond you have uh, with your regular rinkmates, but boy, how good of a teammate was John Morris through all of this, Caitlin? Yeah, in curling, it's so important to have a good dynamic on the ice and off the ice. And John was a very supportive teammate. And, you know, you don't know what it's going to be like when you form a new team, but. He was very patient with me and, and gave me confidence to be able to make some of those uh, pressure last stone draws or whatever the shot was. And uh, I needed that support, uh, especially in the semifinal when I was struggling halfway through. And he stuck with me in, in those tough moments. And we just, he kept telling me to, uh, to be patient and shots will come. So I, I kept thinking about that. And I'm really lucky that I was able to learn from him and draw on his experience as well. You know, the way that you've achieved success, focus is one of your strengths, but was it a little bit surprising that that game went the way that it did against Switzerland, Caitlin? Because I I would imagine you guys were prepared for a real battle. They are the reigning world champs. Completely. We we had uh, full intentions of, you know, me having to throw that last stone draw in the eighth end to to win the championship, and we we went in prepared knowing that it was going to be a tough battle, and uh, fortunately enough for us, we were able to take advantage of a couple opportunities early on in the game, and uh, I, I still didn't think it was going to be over because mixed doubles is such a, a fun game to play in the sense that it's high scoring and anything is possible. So we we couldn't uh, start celebrating too early, and until they put out their hands and we 
we shook hands at the end of the game, then we could finally celebrate it and let it sink in. Two final quick questions for you. The first, uh, uh, I think a lot of credit has to go to Jeff Stout. And uh, when Canada got involved in this discipline six years ago, we were middle of the pack, perhaps. And now, through his work and through your and John's abilities, uh, we're at the podium. Uh, but Jeff Stoughton's been a great leader, hasn't he? He has. It's so great that uh, he was brought on by Curling Canada to be part of this mixed doubles program once it was announced that it was going to be in the Olympics. And Canada's had to play a little bit of catch-up. Uh, there's been over 10 world championships for mixed doubles, and Canada's only had a, a bronze and a silver. So we knew we had our work cut out for us uh, going into these uh, Olympic Games, and we're so lucky that uh, Reed Crothers and Joanne Courtney and uh, Marlies Kasner and Dustin Telsoff the last couple of years have earned some big points to get Canada even into the Olympics, and to be able to help grow the sport uh, is so special. So, yeah, the program has grown substantially, and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. And Caitlin Laws, and wrapping up, uh, what's on your itinerary now? I know you're going to the Worlds in North Bay next month, but will you get a chance to come home to Winnipeg in between then? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm actually going to be spending a couple of days here in Korea, and then I'm going to go to Norway with my boyfriend for a week just to kind of relax and spend some time with him. And then I'm coming back to so or back to Pyeongchang here for the closing ceremonies and uh, cheer on some of our Canadian friends and teammates uh, in the last couple of days of the Olympics. And then on the 26th, I will be coming home. That is Caitlin Laws, now two-time Olympic curling champion, gold medalist in women's curling at last uh, Olympic Games in Sochi 2014. And then, of course, yesterday, just barely 24 hours ago, with John Morris uh, winning the gold medal in the first-ever competition in mixed doubles curling. Well, if you didn't know already, I hate to be the one to break it to you. If you need to know this... Happy Valentine's Day. We thought we would lighten up this segment and talk about something that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside for the most part. Today we're having coffee, talking about our favorite romantic comedies. And uh, we have two of the couch potatoes here. That's a solid foundation, I would say, for any conversation surrounding movies. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Shannon Lee Vidal and Behind the Glass Jerry. And Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you as oh, my sure. co-host of The Couch Potatoes? Yeah, usually I pick Shakespeare in Love for this sort of thing, but I, I know it, Brett dies a little bit inside every time <laughs> I mention it because I say it over the years. I've brought it up so many times. So this year, I'm going with something else. I'm going with a Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks classic. Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> That's not the one I was thinking. I love you. I love you too. I've never been in love with anybody before either. It's great. I am glad. But the timing stinks. I gotta go. Take me to the volcano! And then they jump in the volcano. <laughs> So what's the the reasoning for going with this one? It's just, it's a, it's, this movie's sort of a, become a cult classic over the years and I'm part of that cult. It's got, it's just got a lot of really good stuff and it's, it's, it's just way out there. Um, you guys were talking last week or the week before 
about the Shanley Fest or whatever it was. Yes. yes. John Patrick Shanley yes. wrote and directed Joe vs. Volcano. There you go. Wow. Yeah. I think that may have come out in our discussion, but might have been glossed over as well. So uh, look at you. Yeah. Uh, bringing it. You're bringing it this watch morning, it. Jeff. If you haven't seen it in a while, watch it. I recommend it. Fantastic. It, it might make you crave orange soda, though. It might. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry, since uh, what's your uh, favorite rom-com? Well, I had a hard time picking one, uh, but I went back to uh, the black and white days with with uh, Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant bringing up baby. Oh, you torn your coat. Now, now, I didn't do it on purpose. Not right. That's not right. It's not my fault. I didn't mean to do it. I just did it, but I didn't mean to do it. I just caught hold of your coat. Look, will you do something for me? A needle? No, it's simpler than that. Let's play a game. Oh, what? Well, watch. I'll put my hand over my eyes, and then you go away. Mm-hmm. See? Mm-hmm. Then I'll count to ten, and when I take my hand down, you will be gone. One, five, well, I like six, that. Six, I was only six, trying six, to be nice. Thank you. Bringing up baby, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, dig- digging way into the vault. Good, uh, good selection there, man. Yeah, it's really zany. It's, well, back then, they did comedies a little bit different. Everything was very, very fast-paced, and the one-liners just zing, keep coming, and uh, I, it keeps you thinking and uh, watching. Did you use the word zany? Zany. All right. I'm writing that one down, and it really does encompass a lot of things. Shanelie Vidal, does your film star a cat in any way, shape, or form? No. No? Okay, just thought I'd ask. No. Uh, Actually, rom-coms don't have a lot of replay value for me. Go figure. Uh, But... But this one, I could watch over and over again. I've seen so many times. I could watch it on a loop, and and I pretty much know it off by heart. It's Bridget Jones's Diary with Renee Zellweger. I realized that when I met you at the turkey curry buffet that I was unforgivably rude and wearing a reindeer jumper that my mother had given me the day before. But the thing is, um, what I'm trying to say very inarticulately is that... um, in fact, perhaps despite appearances, I like you very much. Uh, apart from the smoking and the drinking and the vulgar mother and the verbal diarrhea. No, I like you very much, just as you are. That, that gets me every time. Be good. Be and, good. And Colin Firth, you know... Oh. Anything with Colin Firth is is magical. Well, and did you say Hugh Grant is in this film Hugh as well? Hugh Grant is in this this film as well. Well, the, let's go from one movie with Colin Firth and Hugh Grant to another, which Kelly Moore has selected. Yeah, and I was going to pick the scene that involved <laughs> Colin Firth going to Portugal to profess his love, but instead, from Love Actually, I thought I would uh, pick another Colin. Can I help you? Yes, I'd like a Budweiser, please. King of Beers. Bud coming up. Oh my God. Are you from England? Yes. Oh, that is so cute. Hi, I'm Stacy. <laughs> Jeannie? Yeah. This is. Colin. Frizzle. Cute name. Jeannie. He's from England. Yep. 
Basildon. <laughs> I love that scene. It's so ridiculous that he, that he actually accomplishes what he said he was going to do, yeah. which is go to the United States and uh, flaunt his Britishness and uh, make the, the, the sexy times with many American women's. <laughs> my, my litmus test is the same as Shanna Lee's. If you never, ever get tired of watching a movie then that's the one. Well, Love Actually, yeah, that's yeah. a classic. Uh, now, for the ones that I decided to go with, I found one. I've got a clip here that's just oozing with both romance and comedy. Have a listen. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. Okay, maybe not in that clip. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the Princess Bride. Where's the call? It's a classic line, at least. <laughs> it's the Princess Bride, and this is a film based on a book, and just the way that they tell this story, it's it's genius in the way that they, they kind of shroud the romance. Uh, it's told from the perspective of, uh, of a grandpa reading to his grandson, right? And the grandkid at the beginning says... Oh, is this going to have all sorts of kissing and crap in it? And by the end of the movie, he's all into the love story, which is, I think, how all little boys are. They they pretend they're not into that, but really, I think there's some romantic uh, life inside all of us. And it just this movie has romance, it has comedy, it has action, fantasy. It's all there. It's one of the, the most perfect films, I think, that's ever been made, really. So that's my pick for romantic comedy. I had Princess to go to a Bride. list and, and kind of sort things out. I'm not nearly as romantic or comedic as I thought I was. The Big Sick would That's be on one. my list yeah. for sure. Yep. About a Boy, speaking of Hugh Grant, absolutely love that film. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Excellent film, but I settled on This Is 40 with Paul oh, yeah. Rudd and Leslie Mann. It's not highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes by any stretch. I think it's about 52%, but I really enjoy this film. I lived it. We live it in my house, and it's uh, it's uh, one of those films that will uh, depress you and make you feel really wonderful all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, the romantic comedy as a genre, I think, as a whole, kind of... It kind of is treated unfairly, but as you look at these li- this list, like it has the forty year old virgin on the list, great film, Jerry Maguire, uh, which is one of your favorites, isn't that it? Is. I, I think uh, I count that as more dramatic than comedic, though. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What about as good as it gets with Jack Nicholson and one. I think Helen Hunt? Helen I'd like, Hunt. I should watch oh, that again. Oh, that is a good movie. So if you have any suggestions, you can text us to a four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Oh. Would Groundhog Day, would you consider that Ooh, potentially yeah. a romantic comedy? Potentially, that right? was on two different lists that I saw. Yeah. Uh, so apparently it is considered a rom-com. I suppose, I mean, that he's, he ends up falling in love with this woman, right? Yep. I oh, mean, there's, there's romance Spoiler and there's alert. comedy, so <laughs> yeah, there okay. we go. Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry with you. Mackling and McGarry in the morning until 10 o'clock this morning. Co-host of 680 CJOB's The News joins us now. Richard Cluche is on the line, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that interview with Wab Canoe. Good morning, Richard. Hey, Greg. Hey, Brett. Good morning. Thanks for uh, having me on. Well, thanks for this, and and, and thanks for the conversation you had with Wab Canoe yesterday. <laughs> uh, ineffective and indecisive uh, do not match up with leadership in my mind. And I thought we were getting a little decisiveness from Wab Canoe earlier in the day, but I think he blew that up a little bit in his conversation with you and Julie yesterday afternoon, part of which we just played. Yeah, and it's one of those situations where you think that as leader, when you ask for someone's resignation, that they're actually going to listen to you, but Greg Selinger has a history 
of not listening. He is an MLA in St. Boniface, likes the job, and uh, unless he is expelled from caucus or told to go, he's not going to go anywhere. He may transition at some point, will likely not run in the next election uh, in a couple of years, but uh, Wabkanu had the opportunity to be decisive. Instead, you know, it started to sound like that waffling parent that we all know that can't really deal with the, the teenager. And I use the analogy about the cell phone. And, uh, you know, obviously he backed down and then kind of struggled to say, well, Greg Selinger's yesterday, man, I'm trying to f- focus on other things. But in politics, I, I always use the analogy. It's like having the Band-Aid. You either slowly rip it off and it's painful because you're you know don't want to be gross at this time in the morning but you know you got hairs on your hand and it starts to hurt or you just rip it off and in this case you got to rip the band-aid off get it done so it's no longer part of the news cycle but this continues to be part of this news cycle guys so richard why is greg selinger being so stubborn on this why is he refusing to to do as he's being asked i think he likes the job um, I think that uh, he likes being the MLA. I think he likes to have a place to go at the Manitoba legislature. Uh, and I also think that that's just kind of that stubborn streak that goes through him. Uh, again, this is a man that when was presented with five senior people, one of whom was Stan Struthers, Minister Tickles, and, uh, you know, wouldn't back down from them. Uh, it's part of his his history, part of his DNA. So he's not going to go unless he is shown the door in a big way. And in fact, you kind of have to get the bouncers to take him out of the out of the building. Now we have the entire interview up online at 680 uh, CJOB's website, uh, cjob.com, globalnews.ca. And Julie Buckingham asked a great question of Wab Canoe from a point of view of a woman. And we're getting all sorts of text messages this morning. How much? of Wab Canoe's past is hurting him here in terms of his credibility to deal with this situation? And maybe is it affecting his ability to stand strong and to demand Greg Selinger's resignation on this because of his own checkered past? It's not helping. And I think that what Wab Canoe should have done yesterday, and certainly he'll do today, is appoint the commissioners to this inquiry that they're going to have about who knew what when and trying to move on. He has to appoint um, some prominent women on this. And uh, so his past doesn't help him. He has an opportunity here to be a decisive leader in dealing with the, uh, and there's no love on this Valentine's Day between Canoe and Selinger. He has to be able to just uh, rip that bandage off, guys, and deal with it and move on. Like I said, we're going to continue to have these conversations. Selinger will linger out there until uh, Canoe either expels him from caucus or has that really heart-to-heart conversation with him and say, in the best interests of this party long-term, it's time for you to go. 680 CJOB's Richard Cluche joining us live this morning. Thank you very much, Richard. And Richard is co-host of the news on 680 CJOB with Julie Buckingham from 4 until 7. It is Valentine's Day, and that means a lot of us will be thinking about love and intimacy today. When you're in a new relationship, Valentine's Day can be exciting, but when you've been together for many years, it can be a little more difficult to keep the fire 
of romance burning. So we've reached out to a sexologist and a relationship expert, Dr. Jess O'Reilly. You may have seen her on the Global National Morning Show to get some suggestions on how you might be able to really connect with your partner. Dr. Jess, good morning to you. Happy Valentine's. Well, happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Are there some people, before we jump into this, are there some people that that have this uh, agreement, shall we say, to not celebrate Valentine's Day? I know when I started dating my wife, we had a conversation about, you know, certain things are only going to be as important to me as they are to you. But I think with Valentine's Day, you might want to be really, really sure of how your partner feels about Valentine's Day before you unilaterally decide we are not celebrating. That's a really good point because I don't celebrate Valentine's Day. I am not a huge fan of Valentine's Day. I've been with my incredible husband for almost 17 years now. And uh, it's, very, it's actually a very exciting and fresh relationship still without Valentine's Day. Uh, my concern around Valentine's Day is that I believe that in our culture, we do relegate love, romance, intimacy to special occasions. And that's a real problem. You cannot invest in your relationship once a year on Valentine's and once a year on your anniversary and once a year on your birthday and expect the flame to continue to burn. So you can celebrate Valentine's and I don't want you to use me as your excuse not to. What's most important (laughs) is that you're, you need to invest in your relationship every single day and agreeing to not celebrate on Valentine's. I actually think if you mutually agree, it can be a great thing because it probably means that you're doing sweet things for one another every other day. And you should, if you don't invest in your relationship every day, I always talk about 60 second favors, 60 seconds this morning to take their socks and throw them on the heating vent so that they get to put on warm socks, which by the way, only takes like 10 seconds. Uh, If 60 seconds to throw their towel in the dryer and bring them a warm towel when they step out of the shower, 60 seconds to kiss them goodbye a little bit longer. If you can't do that every day, that is the downfall of your relationship. It is not because you didn't come up with the perfect herb infused chocolates on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Well, we tend to to fall back on these grand gestures of grandeur and we will buy flowers. I don't do this, but I know uh, at least one of my good friends who does insists on buying flowers when he's in the doghouse. That that could be the worst time to do it, in my opinion. Where do you stand on this whole uh, making up thing uh, from inside the doghouse via the flower shop? So I think that's actually a really nice gesture if your partner actually likes flowers. Uh, But if it's the only time you're doing something thoughtful, again, that's where the problem arises. So if you if you studied really, really, really basic finance, you know, the concept of dollar cost averaging, purchasing every week or every specific term in order to make sure that your investment pays off. You don't you know, when your RSP investment is due on Feb 28th, you don't do the full purchase then. You're purchasing throughout the year, and we know those people do better in the markets, and it's the same thing in relationships. You're investing in the long term as opposed to, as you said, just grand gestures. And this is the thing with grand gestures. They put on a lot of pressure. They ultimately lead to one person having the pressure on their shoulders, and oftentimes they lead to let down because, you know, what we read in storybooks and what we see in rom-coms and what we read in even in literature, these grand gestures are in ours are incomparable when we try and put it up against what we see in popular culture. So uh, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of letdown, and we know that pressure is the antithesis of both pleasure and intimacy. So 
So again, it is already Feb 14th. So you can't just say, I heard a relationship expert say that Valentine's is out. That's not what I'm saying. If it's important to your partner, you need to know why it's important to your partner and act accordingly. Uh, Oftentimes it's important to someone because we don't feel we're getting the attention, appreciation, expressions of affection and value on other days of the year. And again, my idea of expressions of affection is going to be different than my partner's understanding of those same things. So you need to teach your partner not only what is important to you, but the most effective way to communicate that love in a way that you fully understand. Dr. Jess O'Reilly is our guest. She is a relationship relationship expert and sexologist, often seen on Global National's morning show on television. And Dr. Jess, uh, one of, I'm going to use a, a couple of friends of mine as an example because they they love Valentine's Day, even though they uh, they're actually one of the most affectionate couples of all of my friends. They still make sure to take the time on Valentine's Day because sometimes life gets in the way and they're busy with their family. So yep. Valentine's Day is important Great. to them because it's almost like like scheduling some romance in case they need to schedule it. Great. Yeah, I get that's amazing. And we do need to schedule romance and we do need to schedule relationship and intimacy time in order to prioritize the relationship. Anything in your life that matters, anything that is fruitful runs on a schedule. And it doesn't mean you need to stick to a schedule to the T. So kudos to them. There is nothing wrong with celebrating Valentine's Day if it's a good reminder to yourself to express affection and love and intimacy and romance, then by all means do it. Uh, Just because I don't do it doesn't mean you don't need to do it. What works for one couple will absolutely not work for another. So it's, it's really, as you said in the beginning, you open it up. Uh, with the perfect line, which is you need to understand your partner's expectations and you need to heed them. Like when you're in a relationship, you're in a contract that you're going to make an effort to meet one another's needs. Doesn't doesn't mean you're going to do every single thing they want for the rest of their lives, but it does mean that you're going to prioritize the way they feel. And ultimately relationships are about feelings. Relationships are about how do I feel about myself within the context of this relationship? And every single person wants to feel valued and loved. I love the cost-benefit analysis piece, and I like your analogy on that, Dr. Jess. Hopefully we can do this again. We, we really uh, love seeing you on the, on the television, and we appreciate you making time for us on uh, this special day for an awful lot of people. Well, it's my pleasure. So happy V-Day to everyone out there. And one last thing, reach out to a single, especially an older person in your life today. It's about love. It's not just about the one partner and romance. All right, Dr. Jess O'Reilly, thank you so much for joining us today. Relationship expert and sexologist. It is Valentine's Day, so today, Three Things with Shanley Vidal is about Valentine's Day? It is. It is about Valentine's Day. Couldn't ignore that. That's uh, Valentine's Day. Very good. So let's uh, let's. What's the third? I see you've done some little uh, history research. The history, yes. Yeah. So the the first thing that I want to talk about. I was looking into the origins of Valentine's Day, and I found it's actually not terribly straightforward. It's a little muddled. It's not a clean line. Oh, no. Clean story? No, so we're going to start with ancient Rome and the Feast of Lupercalia. It would take place each year between February 13th and February 15th. And the festival had to do with fertility, and it was held in honor of the wolfie who mothered Romulus and Remus. Those are the twin founders of, of Rome. And the Romulans founded Rome? Romulus, Sorry, <laughs> Romulus and joke. Remus. That is a terrible joke, Star actually. Star Trek joke. 
Um, and there, you know, and there was a lot of uh, hanky panky going on at that festival. Hanky panky. Oh, I'll just say, I'll Except just say, it was a fertility festival. Is that after what they all. found in an ancient tablet somewhere? Hanky panky. <laughs> there was much hanky panky. So okay, but where does Saint Valentine come in, right? So of course there, there's uh, stories of a priest and who was around in uh, Rome around the third century, and this is at the time when Christians were being persecuted, and he would marry Christian couples in secret and otherwise help them out, and he was arrested and imprisoned and martyred. All right, then. It's yeah. a delightful right. story. A delightful very, story, but, uh, but there's also so many other words. there's feel very, very much there's, like celebrating now. There's uh, about, the, I also saw like there's two other guys named Valentine who are put to death. And then there's all these other countries who uh, may, you know, are claiming origin as well. So it's, it's a little muddled. Okay. What's the next thing? The next one is uh, romantic love. Now, romantic love uh, wasn't actually, uh, wasn't actually a big thing associated with Valentine's Day until the Middle Ages. Strangely enough, okay. so it was really all about um, <coughs> extension of the species and 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 procreation of of, of said species. Well, yes, let's let's go with that. So so yeah, so around Middle Ages, that's when you know we we start to hear about uh, learn about courtly love. Of course, the the courtly love tradition. And if you want to learn more about that, you should read the uh, C.S. Lewis book, The Allegory of Love. That's the same guy who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He was a medievalist. Okay. Yeah, along with Tolkien. And so a lot of people point to Geoffrey Chaucer as one of the first mentions of romantic love being associated with Valentine's Day in his poem, The Parliament of Fowls. That, that's a comedy, actually. If you, Parliament of Fowls. The Parliament of Fowls. So it's like Parliament and they're all birds, right? And he says, it says, For this was on St. Valentine's Day when every bird cometh there to choose his mate. And I am not going to read that in the original Middle English because uh, it's been a few years since I've read Middle English. And uh, actually, there are several writers at this time who do talk about birds and mid-February. Mm, yeah. Love birds and all that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Very much a symbol Sim- of love. Exactly. And like I mentioned, like like courtly love in the Middle Ages, it had to do with uh, secrecy. You had to love someone in secret. Well, of course. Adultery. And this is kind of where we get our idea of chivalry. So like you'd be married to someone that, you know, that would be your partner. And that's for making babies, right? And then your your mistress, that's the person you would share your intimate thoughts with and you would really have a good time with. And, you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> have a good time with. Well, that's, I like that. Yeah, you, you, that kind of be like your, you'd share, share those intimate moments and, yeah. So this has been a cultural thing. <laughs> I guess so. All hey, right. Tim texted us and says, I feel like my bank account is arrested and put to death on Valentine Day. Lol. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> What's the third thing? The third thing. Okay, now we're This all... maybe ties more to, to Tim's take on Valentine's yeah, actually. Day. actually. <laughs> so, okay, today is also the anniversary of a huge day in mafia history. The yes. St. Valentine's Day massacre. I know we were talking about that yesterday. Happened in Chicago in 1929. So at the time, of course, we had Prohibition on on alcohol, making a great opportunity for bootleggers. Yeah, to... we missed out on that one. <laughs> so, of course, uh, Al Capone at the time was public enemy number one, and then there are these gang wars going on involving C- Capone and rival gangsters like George Bugs Moran. He had set up a bootlegging operation out of his garage. Oh, Bugsy, Bugsy Moran. So, at uh, no, actually, that's Bugs. You're, you're mistaken. Am I wrong? You that's Bug. You're thinking Bugsy Siegel. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. The, well played. The movie with Warren Beatty. Yes. And so it happened on February 14th. Seven members of Moran's gang were gunned 
down and 70 rounds of ammunition were fired and Moran himself actually missed the massacre by mere minutes. So it's finally concluded that the gunmen dressed up as police officers and pretended to arrest the men. Case actually never went to trial, but some believe that Capone may have orchestrated it, uh-huh. although he claimed to be at his home in Florida at the time. Very convenient. And right here in Canada, we have a lot of Capone history. Uh, Capone was running his bootleg through the tunnels of Moose Jaw. And here's a, here's a clip I'm going to play from, it's a documentary called Finding Out. It would have been so easy for him to, to come to Moose Jaw via the train, and, and back then, of course, the train was a great way to travel. And we didn't have the border crossings then like you do now. He could get on the train and come here when he needed to lie low, especially after the St. Valentine's Day massacre. So Canada was a great place to hide. And there's been actually lots of stories about uh, Capone sightings in in Manitoba. Yeah, ties to Plum Coulee in particular and uh, different rum running routes uh, that included Manitoba over time. Fascinating look. Only Chantilly Vidal could take us from the Middle Ages to the Dark <laughs> Ages into the the mafiosa and uh, the times of uh, of 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 no alcohol. All in one top. Yeah, three and things. if you ever get a chance to see the tunnels of Moose Jaw, it's a great tour. Check it out. Chantilly Vidal, happy Valentine's Day to you. Thank you. Could be the best website in Winnipeg in terms of the URL. <laughs> I have not heard this since I went to school. I can stop talking altogether. No, that's good. That's good? That's enough. That is a good song. <laughs> www.heyho.ca. It is festival time. Well, we're not quite there yet, but we can see it from here. We'll be decked out in plaid on Friday. And you should too, because it's plaid shirt day. Snap a photo to share on Twitter or Instagram and hashtag wearplaid2018. It's brought to you by Marks this year. Photos will be entered to win a grand prize of $250, a $250 gift certificate for Marks, plus three secondary prizes of $100. And, of course, the event has been created to help kick off Festival du Voyageur, which runs from Friday until February 25th. So to tell us more about this year's festival, we are joined by Executive Director Daryl Nadeau, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Daryl, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey ho, Daryl. How are things uh, going hey, hey, over? Oh at- <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you like that URL, right? I think it's uh, one of the best URLs ever created in our province. It uh, it's, it's, it, it's it easy ev- to remember. It's easy to remember. It evokes emotion and it, it tells a little bit of a story and gets you involved all at once. And I, I've got to confess that festival was not a big part of my growing up uh, in the city, but this festival has gotten bigger. It's gotten better. It's gotten more interactive just over the last 15 years. Uh, it's measurable in terms of the acceptance and participation uh, from our community in Festival. You're absolutely right. And, and actually over the last five years, we've actually doubled the amount of bands. So this year we have 150 bands uh, playing music, both in English and French. Uh, so it, it really has grown into a huge music festival, but also a lot of culture, Francophone culture, Métis culture, First Nations culture, and history as well. Uh, and then, of course, a really, really fun atmosphere for kids as well. So it's really fun for everybody, uh, and we're really looking forward to it kicking off on Friday. 
Now, more information can be found at heyho.ca, or you can download the Festival app uh, on iPhone or on Android. Now, you just mentioned fun for the kids, and this year you've doubled your children's programming? Yeah, so this year we've expanded our outdoor play area for kids. Uh, so we actually have the, the large slide that's kind of a staple where uh, kids go slide down by toboggan. We've also added tube slides. Uh, we've added a larger play structure area and a brand new uh, play structure, uh, a, pl- a game called the Imagination Playground. But we've also have two tents now for kids that are heated. So if it is a little bit chilly, there's always options for families who want to warm up. One tent will have storytelling and music for kids. And then the other tent will have some sort of circus type of, of atmosphere, a circus uh, stuff, and then a, a dance party for kids as well. So there's plenty of options for kids. And the other thing that we did this year is uh, we, we increased the age of free admission to 12 and under. Last year was 5 and under. So we really, really hope that this uh, makes the experience more accessible and affordable for uh, families with young children. Well, I have to say, Daryl, I think that's brilliant because uh, children really do drive a lot of your choices, not only as a consumer, but in terms of, what you do with your time, and if and if you can uh, cut the uh, fees to admission essentially for a family of four almost by half, it goes an awfully long way in enticing people to come down. and And I know kids uh, have a ton of fun when they come to Festival, and uh, technology is also something you're embracing uh, in terms of an app, so people can stay on top of what's going on at Festival Park. Yeah, our app is really, really great. So you can download the app and you can see all of our 150 artists. And you can also actually listen to their songs directly through the app. You can get a preview of these artists. So about 80% of our artists are local from Winnipeg. And so we want people to discover those artists. You can find them. You can also see, you know, our full slate of programming for cultural and heritage programming as well. Um, You can get links to where you can buy tickets. You get a map of the park. It's really a great app, and, uh, and, and it also, you can set reminders and, and favorites on certain artists, and then the app will actually um, remind you or notify you when that artist is, is playing in a tent, because we have six tents at the same time at Festival with different uh, artists playing and all sorts of different activities. It's hard to keep track of everything, so we, we want people to take advantage of the app, uh, favorite their, their must-see activities, and then let the app do the work for them and remind them when they're happening. Daryl Nadeau is Executive Director of Festival du Voyageur, which starts this Friday, February 25th. Again, this Friday is Plaid Shirt Day, brought to you by Marks. More information at heho.ca, that's H-E-H-O.ca, or you can download the app on iPhone and Google Play. Preschool Valentines. Sweet gesture of symptom or parental peer pressure. That is the headline from globalnews.ca. Is too much focus being put on giving out valentines today? Should children be required to give a valentine to each and every person in their class? The man behind the headline, preschool valentine sweet gesture or symptom of parental peer pressure, the man who wrote the blog post, Brenton Dreger. News anchor at our sister station in Edmonton, 630 Ched, and formerly a newscaster here at 680 CJOB. Brenton, you call yourself a self-proclaimed Valentine's curmudgeon. Why? Well, I don't think I'm the only person who just thinks that Valentine's is a, is a little bit overrated and, and has, some, has some pitfalls. Uh, I would say there's, there's kind of two different sorts of Valentine's. I have both enjoyed immensely celebrating Valentine's Day with my special someone, um, but on the other hand, I, I see that there's some, some pitfalls when it comes to children. So that's where I get a, a little curmudgeonly. 
Um, I think the big problem with Valentine's Day is when you start attaching uh, obligation, uh, peer pressure to it and that sort of thing. And so that's what I'm really concerned about. The idea of a mandatory Valentine. I don't remember that being a part of life growing up, but it, I have 11-year-old twin boys, uh, Brenton, so I've been down this road of filling out a Valentine for every single kid in the class, including the, the kid that might be bullying one of my kids because it's mandatory. See, that's the thing. In my childhood, I remember there being Valentines around, but to me, Valentine's is one of those holidays where when you get uh, get a Valentine card, you get a chocolate, uh, whether it's from a classmate, even from your parents, I just think, oh, well, that's a nice bonus, but it should never be a- an obligation. And it got to the point where, where uh, you know, our kid was in preschool and my, my wife was, was starting to look at, oh, Valentine's is coming up and thinking, well, I, I better get Valentine's from him to every kid in his class or else, you know, he'll be crushed because he'll be the only one left out. And to me, that's the real that's the real problem. Where now it's gone from a nice gesture to a friend or a, a special someone to you know this consumeristic groupthink. Well, and and Brenton, your son is three years old, right? I mean, you you you, mm-hmm. re- you make a reference about him sign, being able to barely sign his own name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, before he can even really send these gestures from the heart, we're already uh, suggesting that. Uh, no, you, you should do this. Everyone else is doing it, so you're doing it. So my concern is a little bit, and I don't know if I'm overblowing it here, but here's the thing. If at the age of three, four, five, you're teaching your kids, if everybody else in your class is doing this little thing, you need to do the exact same thing. How do you put that toothpaste back in the tube in 10 years when they come back at you with the same argument? Well, I got to tell you that uh, I only sent Valentine's to the people that I had a special affection for, and that started right in grade one, grade two, grade three. You'd make the little paper bag or the box, and and you would have time to deliver the Valentine's throughout the day. But now not only do you have to send a Valentine to everyone, there's also this expectation of a little heart-shaped eraser or some other sort of goodie attached to the Valentine. (laughs) Give me a break, man. Exactly. Now it's basically a mini goodie bag. I mean, right. I, I, I probably got left leaving birthday parties when I was a kid. Uh, and, and now, like, my wife saw one, one woman on Facebook who was trying to give away her leftover Valentine's candy. I'm like, well, how much are you giving away that you actually have? Like, this is starting to sound like Halloween here. Brenton, does, do you think that this could potentially teach kids to just expect Valentine's and then when they're old enough to actually be romantic and uh, be interested in other people when they don't get a Valentine's or when they don't get any attention on Valentine's Day, that it could have a detrimental effect on them? Oof, maybe. I mean, that is part of the, that's part of my concern is I, I, I really don't like when people are can, can try to pressure you into, well, you have to do this because it's so-and-so. To me, I'm like, I, I get that Christmas is one of those holidays where there's there's some obligation attached. Like, yeah, you need to get gifts for certain people. Maybe you need to get a gift for your kid's teacher, whatever. But Valentine, like, can we just, can we draw a line somewhere and just decide that there are some holidays that, that should not have obligation attached to them and that we you, they give you the opportunity to willingly express 
your feelings should you so choose, but not attach obligation to it. I yearn for the days of the anonymous rose, the days of high school where you could pick one or maybe more than one person to send a rose to anonymously uh, to uh, maybe uh, tickle their fancy and capture their attention. Brenton, uh, thanks for bringing this to our attention. We appreciate it very much. Oh, you bet. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you, Brenton. Great to catch up with uh, former colleague here of yours, Brett McGarry. Brenton Dreger. He was a colleague at school in creative communications at Red River and then eventually here at 680 CJOB. He was a talented young lad then. I guess now he's just He's an old curmudgeon like uh, like, uh, like me. <laughs> Our question of the day ties back to this conversation, in fact. Should children be required to give a valentine to each student in their class? Very simple answer options. Yes or no. The question of the day is for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. Get two quotes before you call them. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. That question of the day, of course, at our website, cgob.com. <laughs> what are you laughing about? That's uh, the audio cue. He has, his, uh, he has theme music for our next guest. Julian Pelicano, he's the resident conductor for the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. You have a good memory behind the glass, Jerry. That's why you live back there. What's his name? The artist? Oh, Tito Puente. And, okay, <laughs> I had it, but I wasn't certain. So yeah. now, next time I'll remember for sure. We always love when Julian pops by to spend some time with us. There's there's always a reason, and uh, I suppose at some point, Julian, we could uh, have you in for no reason except you're always working, and there's always something for you to be talking about. And today it's uh, about Charlie Chaplin's City Lights. This is going to be a presentation, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Uh, they are going to be playing the live soundtrack and Brett you've experienced this with other movies in the past and it's a spectacular way to see a film I have uh, one for certain was Home Alone another one was Lord of the Rings Fellowship at the Ring at MTS Center now Bell MTS Place and before that I could have sworn it was City Lights we're going back eight years but now Julian Pelicano resident conductor at the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra says I think it might have been modern times I don't know it was a Charlie Chaplin movie and it was awesome what do you guys do with that stuff? Right. Well, thanks a lot for having First of all, I'd like to say it's always been a dream of mine to have theme music. It's finally happened. Yeah. Thank, I thank you all. It's you, incredible. Do you picture yourself sort of walking down the ramp to get into, uh, whether it's uh, coming out for a concert or maybe to walk into the wrestling ring, you know, yes. everybody chanting your yes. name? That's exactly how I picture it. Okay. I like it. I like it. Well, we're glad to fulfill that part of your dreams. But uh, Julian, when we talk about this movie City Lights, I was doing some research this morning. We were talking about romantic comedies. And on Rotten Tomatoes, they, they actually rated this the number six romantic comedy of all time. And the story is incredible. Have you got the synopsis of the story memorized, or or should I read it from my notes here? Well, I, I mean, I basically have it memorized. I've seen the movie enough times, but it's, yeah, it's an incredible, incredible story. Like all of Chaplin's movies, um, there, it's the struggle of Chaplin's character, the tramp, against some sort of adversity. And, um, and in this case, you know, the tramp is... You know, he's just sort of there. I mean, he's, he's, I guess he's kind of a hobo. We're not exactly sure what he does. He certainly doesn't work. He just kind of walks around. He's a little bit shabby. And in this uh, film, he ends up uh, by chance meeting this uh, millionaire who is 
I don't well, I guess maybe he has a drinking problem. We're not exactly sure, but he's very audacious and he's very um emotional and uh and Chaplin saves his life because uh he's uh, really in dire straits and Chaplin says, "No, no, no, everything's going to be fine." And so he takes him under his wing kind of. And uh it's it's really hilarious, but he ends up falling in love uh Chaplin does with a a girl who happens to be blind, and she sells flowers on the street, and uh, and he's absolutely enraptured by her, even though she can't see him. And you know, uh, for for Chaplin uh, or for the Tramp rather, uh, that he sees that as kind of an advantage because uh, because he's no millionaire for sure. So uh, so, but he truly loves her, and uh, and it is a romantic uh, comedy, and it is. Uh, it's an incredible statement as well. All of Chaplin's movies, uh, at the end, of course, I won't give it away. They, you know, they say something bigger than just being a, a comedy. And of course, they're incredibly funny. I mean, it's it's slapstick. I found out today that Chaplin actually worked for his first job was with uh, a man named Fred uh, Carno, who is the inventor of slapstick comedy. He actually invented the custard pie in the face. <laughs> okay, which is like. It's amazing. So the staple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, Julian, what is it about these Chaplin movies you've now done? Modern Times, uh, The Circus, I think you've done in recent years, right. and now City Lights. What is it about these films that lend themselves to being performed by the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra? Well, this one is special uh, because it's actually the first. Well, let me put it this way: Chaplin was himself a, a, a very accomplished musician, and. Um, and uh, he, and he's a very smart guy, incredibly intelligent. But he, this is the first film that he actually wrote the music for. So he wrote the music. All of his previous films, uh, the music was written by someone else. And then he, he was so, um, he was such a perfectionist. He, all of his films, he wrote them, he directed them, he produced them, he edited them, he started them. And in all of his later films, he went back to the earlier ones and rewrote the music when they were re-released. Unbelievable. So this is the first one that he wrote the music to. Now, uh, the thing that makes this one interesting, uh, well, there's a couple of things that make it interesting. It's, it's written in 1931, so talking pictures have already happened. And Chaplin is very suspicious of the ch- talking pictures for a couple of reasons. He doesn't first. I'm not sure he thinks it's going to totally catch on. But it's <laughs> Interesting also, take. I know, right? But also, you have to remember this: that the silent movies had an international appeal that talking pictures didn't, because there was no language, no language barrier. Yeah, no yeah. language barrier. So he felt that the tramp, the character of the tramp, would be um, would uh, be uh, it would be detrimental to the, to the character to have talking pictures. So he went on with silent pictures, but because talking pictures had been invented, he the innovation that he that he uh, saw from this was that you could pre-record the soundtrack and have the soundtrack playing in a movie theater instead of what they had before, which would either be a pianist or an organist either improvising, or they used to play from these kind of cue cards. Or uh, a live orchestra in the movie theater, which was in the bigger theaters in the big cities, that was actually something that was pretty common. Now, um, what makes it interesting for us is that because they were able to re-record, pre-record the music, the synchronization between the film, what happens in the music and what happens on the screen is uh, much more involved than previous Chaplin movies. So um, so it makes it fun for us because uh, the music really lines up to the picture uh, in ways that, for example, in a movie like Home Alone or E.T. or whatever, other movies that I've conducted with the symphony, you kind of take that for granted. But it was a really difficult thing to do uh, before uh, movie, movie music was recorded on the reel. 
Just a fascinating look at the the history of Charlie Chaplin, Charles Chaplin, the director, and uh, his talent. And, and so the whole idea that he was a musician as well was something that I had no idea. Yeah. And uh, and this this movie, the thing I find fascinating about it, and I've done The Circus as well, as I said before, I've also done one other silent film here. It's the first one I've done here uh, in Winnipeg. It's called Metropolis uh, by Fritz Lang. It's it was actually it's a, it's an incredible landmark in cinematic history. I think it was written in twenty seven, and the score was written by Gottfried Huppert. That score is like a it's like a two and a half hour long opera that also has to be uh, synchronized to the screen uh, really uh, tightly. This movie, on the other hand, Chaplin's music is more in a popular style, so. Uh, this, this 1931 film, the, the score is like a, it's basically a compendium of all the different kinds of music that you would hear in 1931. And it's incredibly authentic. We even have the giant percussion trap set up uh, that our principal percussion is going to be playing with the drum set and the xylophone and a vibraphone, like every possible imaginable instrument. So uh, you can hear... You basically hear 1931 when you go listen to this, when you go to this picture, and uh, and you hear people playing it live. So City Lights happening this weekend, uh, February 16th, 17th at 18th, Charles Chaplin City Lights Live. And I wanted to ask you this because you've done this a few times now, and uh, I don't mean, hopefully this doesn't end up being a jinx, but have there, while you've been doing these uh, live soundtracks to film. Has there ever been a spot where you've kind of quietly thought to yourself, "Oh shoot, I just missed a mark," or "I, I <laughs> that's not syncing up. I, I, I gotta fix this." Well, you know, I, <laughs> I gotta tell you, anything that has happened, only I'm, I'm the only one that would notice. That's how small. That's how small it is. Okay. But I does it keep t- you awake at night? Is it something that no. you carry with you, or you move on from it? No, I mean, well, the, if there if there's any small infidelity in what we're trying to do, it's so small that the audience wouldn't notice. We um like my these these films, and because because that that element is absolutely essential, that element of syncing it up, that's for me the most essential thing. My preparation on that point goes so far beyond what you would think should be possible. Like I go beyond that because I know that it's not even an option. It has to line up. Yeah. So actually, there's never. I've, I mean, I think I've done twelve movies here, and uh, and a few elsewhere, and I don't think I've ever had one major slip up. Knock on wood here. Yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> uh, and, you know who to come after yeah, if anything goes Thank wrong you this very weekend. Much. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. <laughs> Julian Pelicano is the resident conductor for Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra this weekend. City Lights Live. Charles Chaplin. City Lights Live. They will perform the WSO will perform the musical score while you're watching the film at the Centennial Concert Hall. I'm telling you it's a real treat when they do this kind of show. It's all a treat whenever they do a show but being one of the couch potatoes of course I like the movie ones they do. Julian it's always a pleasure when we uh, have a visit with you. Thanks for coming back. Pleasure to be here too. Thanks guys. Last night went to the dogs as the Westminster Dog Show came to its conclusion. The winner, a Bichon Frise named Flynn. So we wanted to learn more about dog shows, including how to get your puppy pageant ready and how to get involved in dog shows right here in Manitoba. Joining us now, Jill Fraser, president of the Manitoba Canine Association. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. So, Jill, before we go any further, is it Bichon Frise or Bichon Frise? It's, uh, it could be either. 
Right on. Oh, okay. It depends on who you're talking to. Fantastic. So we can leave that alone. I've seen pictures of Flynn, an absolutely gorgeous dog. Uh, but this, I mean, we know that Canadians, North Americans love their animals, love their dogs. Is this uh, something that is growing in popularity, the idea of putting your, your dog and getting involved in showing your animal? Uh, more and more people are coming uh, to the dog shows and enjoying doing things with their dogs. We all start out with our, our young dogs and, and come to the shows and meet new people and, and then get hooked. Um, I'm relatively new in the sport. I've only been in since 1994. Um, Pardon? So You've only me, been in since 1994? Yeah, and I'm relatively new in the sport. There have been people in Manitoba that have been showing for decades longer than I have. Um, we, we just enjoy the dogs and we enjoy... Uh, spending time with them. We enjoy each other. Um, coming up currently in April is our fourth annual Pause for Celebration event where we compete all year against each other for points. We p- compete in breed um, judging. We p- compete in obedience and rally obedience. And so we spend it all year competing against each other. And then once a year, we get together to celebrate everybody else's co- accomplishments as well as our own. Now, the, uh, the dogs or the grooming that has to go into these dogs to get them ready for a show, how long does that take? Depends on the breed. I, if you're looking at a poodle, you're talking hours and hours of, of grooming to prep the dog just before the show. But you're talking to get them into a full adult show coat. You're talking over a year's worth of work for someone. Uh, for, for a boxer who has a very short, nicely tight coat, it's not quite so much. They do a little nail grooming and, and uh, a little bathing before the show. They don't have as much. Now, I understand for as uh, popular as Flynn has become, he was not necessarily the favorite. There was a, a giant a giant schnauzer named Ty who was the uh, pre-competition favorite. So he had a little bit of an upset here. So through 2017, Ty the giant schnauzer worked really hard, went to a lot of shows, and accumulated a lot of points and was the number one uh, dog in the U.S. for 2017. Uh, but it's always on that day, on that night, which dog is is close, most closely related to its breed standard. So in the, the closing minute that we have left here, if someone listening wants to get their dog involved in a show somehow, uh, can, who should they reach out to to start? Uh, to start, we come down to our shows. We have a show February 17th to 19th in Brandon, Manitoba. We have a show March 23rd to 25th in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Another one April 13th to the 15th in Winnipeg. May 25th to 27th in Oak Bank. And then uh, June 30th to July 2nd in Portage La Prairie. And then, of course, my favorite is the Manitoba Canine Association show in East St. Paul, August 16th to the 19th. For the most part, there's no entry to come in and watch, take some time, wait for somebody to be done showing, go back to their setup and and ask them if you're interested in that dog or if that's the breed that you have. If you just have a little mixed breed and your kids want to get involved, call the junior rep. Um, If people want, they can email me on my email and I'm I'm happy to pass along along Beth Choppy's um, information. Uh, What's your website? Uh, you can hit Manitoba Canine Association on the uh, on Google. Okay. Jill Fraser is our guest, president of the Manitoba Canine Association. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Thanks to Jerry and Shanna Lee. And thank you for listening to 680 CJOB. <laughs>
911, what's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship! Ah, there was an explosion! Oh my god, the ship is sinking! I can't get out! There's water everywhere! We're going down! I've got a lock on your location, stay with me. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.